um, want to uh, welcome you and say thanks for coming. Um, especially welcome to, uh, we have 30 or some folks from uh, Gyeonggi University uh, from Korea who are here with us. So welcome to you guys who are scattered about, uh, throughout the room uh, here for a, a hospitality program. They're here um, learning hospitality at the University of Central Florida and they've joined us and they'll be here uh, in the States I think for about three or four weeks and they're here um, at the invitation of, of Brother David Kim um, who is here and, and kind of uh, hosting them and, and welcoming them. So uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to understand some of uh, what uh, we're talking about and, and doing here. Um, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes as uh, those who are familiar with us um, well know. And uh, the idea that we want to consider today is that sometimes life doesn't make sense. Uh, and sometimes it can, be, it can be simple and innocent things, like the classic lines that you might hear on these email accounts. Why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? It's very confusing sometimes in America. Why do you cook bacon and bake cookies, right? We wonder about things like this. Why do feet smell and noses run? All kinds of questions. If vegetarians eat vegetables, then why don't humanitarians eat <laughs> humans? A lot of things in life uh, sometimes don't really make sense to us. And as we consider uh, life, um, there are many things of weightier uh, matters that cause us to wonder, uh, where is all the sense in life? And I can't make sense of all of these things, and we ask a bunch of questions. And uh, Friday night, our time, Saturday afternoon, uh, one, of, uh, one of the members of our congregation, James Ye, uh, his brother was involved in an, an accident in Korea uh, near the airport, and uh, 12 people passed away. And a lot of times in the aftermath of things like this, we wonder where, how do we make sense of the seemingly senseless things that happen in life? The way that the teacher in Ecclesiastes would put it is, why is it that the righteous, the good, the selfless, die before their time, while wicked people often live a long, long life. Where, 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 how do we make sense of these problems, these enigmas, these riddles, these conundrums in life? What do we do with all of these questions that we have? This is a question that the teacher was asking. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 15, we're going to read until chapter 8, verse 1. And he's going to ask this kind of a question. As you know, he's been examining life and he's gone through all of these experiences of life, trying to find what is it all about? What is life all about and how do we make sense of, of life? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? What's the significance of all the things that we do? And does life have any semblance of significance of meaning or is it just a bunch of series of disconnected events? And, and what are we supposed to do with the hardships that we find in life? And his conclusion or one of the many, uh, one of the many streams that run, strings that run throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is a vapor. It's so short it's so unpredictable, it's so hard to grasp, it's so hard to understand, so hard to comprehend, and a lot of things about this life we just quite frankly don't have answers to. And so he's on a journey trying to find answers to this very question. And so we begin in chapter 7, verse 15, and as we read uh, the next 15 verses, be reminded this is God's word. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? 
It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one man, one wise man, more powerful than ten rulers in a city. There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. That this is beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it's far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. A man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another, discover the scheme of things while I was still searching but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only I have found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. This is God's word. Uh, This is a difficult passage. Because it seems like the teacher is going on a whole bunch of different rabbit trails, and it seems like there's just a bunch of disjointed thoughts here. But as we look into this text, one of the things that we see at the very beginning, in verse 15, the teacher reiterates the conundrum that we presented at the beginning. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. He's saying, how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense that a righteous person would live long and a wicked person, I'm sorry, would live short and a wicked person would live long? It doesn't make any sense because inherently all of us somewhere in our hearts believe in this idea, whether we're Christians or not, we believe in this idea of karma, don't we? That good things happen to good people. If you're good, you should be rewarded with good. And if you're bad, you get what's coming to you, right? You see a bad person, a person who's been evil, vile, a thief, a criminal, a crook, and they come down with a terminal illness. You say, well, they had what's coming to them. But a good person, a seemingly quote-unquote good person, the same thing happens to them. And you say, where is the justice in all this? How does this make any sense to us? Because we believe in our heart of hearts that good things ought to happen to good people and bad things ought to happen to bad people. And so the teacher is saying, that's what I thought also, but here's a newsflash. In my life, in my experience, none of that is true. Because I've seen so many good people have bad things handed to them on the plate of life and vice versa. So what do we do with all this stuff? And so the teacher continues this quest to find meaning and answers to life, to these questions that life throws at him, and particularly this one. He says, where do I go? Where do I go? And so on this journey, he, he's going to find three things. And I'm going I'm to say at the, at the outset, this is not a cut and dry message, right? because the answer to this question is very elusive, and he finds it very difficult to find. But three things that he doesn't find to be the answer is what I want to talk about today. Okay, so the first thing that we see, the answer is not in being super righteous or in being super bad. I'm not talking about the movie either. It's not in being super righteous or super bad. Here's what, here's what he's saying. Verse 16, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? In wisdom literature, get this, righteousness and wisdom are synonymous, okay? 
If you're wise, you will live a righteous life. And so wisdom, righteousness can be used interchangeably in the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That's the first thing that we want to see. But the second thing, verse 17, do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one, not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. The first thing in this first point that I want to point out is that the teacher is saying, here, you think that because wicked people oftentimes live a really long life that I should just go and be super wicked, right? If bad people, in my experience, end up living a really long time, then why not just be super bad, Right? That's, what he, that's what he says. He says, no, don't be over, don't be a fool. All you're doing is quickening, hastening the day of your death. It doesn't make any sense. We see this a lot in, in celebrities who, uh, they, they, they go to the extreme of being really bad, really wicked, really evil, whether it's a drug dealer whose life is cut short or a person who's always doing crime who, who gets cut down. People who, who are bad living in reckless behavior ending up catching a disease or whatever it is, and their life is cut short. He's saying, don't be over wicked. Don't be super bad because that's just going to prolong. I'm sorry, that's just going to quicken, hasten the day of your death. It's kind of like if we're we're watching the World Cup or some of y'all are watching the World Cup and and there's been a lot of talk about how bad the referees are. We score a goal, but the referee doesn't see it. They don't count the goal. What, What justice is there in that? And so the line of thinking would be that because I score a goal, but they don't count it, I might as well stop trying to score a goal. He's saying, that's silly. All you'll do is eliminate yourself from the game that much quicker. The same logic is the logic that people are are using here. They're saying, if wicked people really do live a long life, then why not just be wicked and be overly wicked? Why not just go and and do all the things that I want to do and get drunk and party and and sleep around and do all these things? He's saying, you're just quickening the day of your death. Don't hurt yourself in that way. That's not the answer to this conundrum of life. But he says, not only is it wrong to be super bad, but he's saying it's wrong to be super good also. Because the line of thinking that other people might go to is if in fact the righteous die young, And if, in fact, the promise of God is that if you live the life that honors me, then I will bless your life, then maybe, maybe the reason is because I'm not being good enough. Maybe I'm not being righteous enough. If the righteous people are blessed indeed, and they're not living long, then maybe they're not being good enough. And so, perhaps the answer is to be super good or to be super righteous. And the teacher is saying, that's not the answer either. That's not the answer either. As soon as you begin do, here's, some people might say, well, Jesus said you should hunger and thirst for righteousness for you will be filled. That's not what he's saying here. When he uses this word and when he talks about do not be over-righteous, the verb tense that he's using is a reflexive verb. And for those of you who've ever studied a foreign language, a reflexive verb is something that you do to yourself. And so what the teacher is saying, do not think that you are righteous in your own eyes in thinking that I can do more to be more righteous, to think that then I can control the length of my life and I can manipulate God by being good. Saying this is a tendency and the temptation that other people might go to, to think that because maybe I'm not being good enough and hard things are happening to me, I should try and be a little bit better. Then maybe God will give me a little bit more. It's like the kid who goes to school and gives his teacher an apple so that she will like him a little bit more. As soon as you begin doing it to get something out of it, it no longer becomes truly charity. 
soon as we begin doing quote unquote religion for ourselves rather than out of love for God, then we've negated the goodness and the benefit of it all. And so he's saying, don't do that because that's not going to help you one iota. It's not going to change your life in terms of God having his arm twisted to give you a better life. And then he goes on and, and he says in verse 19, lest you think that wisdom and righteousness is a bad thing, he says it makes one wise man more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. However, there's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. He, he, he highlights again the value of wisdom and righteousness, but then he says the, even the best of us, even the best of us don't get it right. And then he gives an illustration. He gives an example in verse 21. Don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Sometimes you're, you're in, a, in a crowd of people. Maybe you're in a group like this, and in the far corner, you hear someone say your name. And, and then you, 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 like, we could have like awful hearing about everything else, everything our, our husband or wife says, but as soon as we hear our name, right, then we have superhuman hearing, right? We hear, and we begin to wonder, what do they say? And then we begin to hear them saying bad stuff about us. What do we, what do, we do? We get upset about that, don't we? Like, oh, man, he's like, don't, don't pay attention to every word people say. You may hear your servant cursing you. And some people, I, I know some people who say, yeah, no, I want to know what people think about me, so I'm going to open up my life to, I hate to hammer on form spring all the time, but we, we see all the dangers of it. People have, people, I, I read an article a few weeks back of how someone read something on form spring and they ended up committing suicide. This is evil stuff. I want, to know, I want to know what people think about me. And so we open ourselves, and then people start talking trash and, and saying all these mean things. And, and then we're like, oh, I can't believe the audacity of you. And then he says in verse 22, you know what? You know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And you do the same thing. You who think that you can be super righteous, you do the exact same thing that you condemn other people have been guilty of. Uh, you think you can be righteous enough to earn the blessing and the elongation of life from the hand of God? You can't. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be righteous enough. And so the answer to the conundrum of life is not being either super bad or being super good. So let's move on and see the second thing. Second thing that he says, this is going to be kind of weird. And you're going you're gonna to be like, what, what are you talking about? But the second thing that the answer is not is in the snares of sensuality. Okay, what are you talking about? Verse 23, all this I tested by wisdom. I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom in the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of all. Here he's, go, he's going, I, I want to know what this is all about. I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to uncover what it's all about. And then he says something that is completely off base here. Verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. It's like, this is, all, this is coming out of left field, isn't it? He's talking about trying to wisdom and meaning and all this stuff, and then he's like, you know what? I've tasted something really bitter. My, my daughter, Manny, every time she eats something, she has this look as if she's tasted the most bitter thing ever, even if it's her favorite food. It's the sweetest thing. She gets this look as if she just drank poison. Like she drank, like sucked a lemon or something like that. She gets this awful look. She's like, this is so bitter. And he says, you want to talk bitter. Let me, let, let, me, let, let me tell you about bitter. Not talking about bitter like, oh, I went to this wedding and 
the girl wore the same dress as me. Not that kind of bitter. I'm not talking about bitter like, oh my goodness, that I can't believe my best friend asked my girlfriend to prom. He's not talking about, he's saying this is how bitter it is. It is more bitter than death. He goes to the ultimate extreme. Says, you know what's more bitter than death? Let me tell you. A woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. Hey, he's pretty bitter here. This is pretty bitter. He's gotten obviously been jacked up by one or two or many, many women. Most commentators would say, in trying to piece this all together, he's on this search for meaning in life, and what we see in this passage is a microcosm of his life, that he's trying to go on this mission, and then he gets ensnared and sidetracked by this woman. And he's trying to warn us, saying, as you try and find out these answers to life, the answer is not going to be found in the seductive snares of sensuality. The word that he uses, the words that he uses, snare, trap, chains, have us enslaved. And he's saying, that is the power of sensuality. Or let's be a little bit more PG-13. This is the snare of sexuality. This is how dangerous it can be. You remember when you watched the original Indiana Jones, there was a little Asian boy called Data, right? Cute boy. And there'd be, you know, Indiana Jones is like this cool adventure movie. Uh, we used to have a, a, a pastor, he was a, a seminarian. His name was uh, Paul Lee. Do you guys remember Paul Lee? Uh, his first name when he was in Korea, uh, the first name he gave himself was Jones because he watched Indiana Jones and he fell in love with him. So he named himself Jones. After he became a Christian, he said, well, I need a more Christian name. So he named himself Paul. But Indiana Jones is a movie and, and it's this like adventure movie and, and they're trying to get to this place and... And there's one scene I always remember, I don't know, I think I remember because I identified with the Asian boy, but I remember he was, uh, the little boy was like, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, be careful, there's, uh, there's what do he say, there's booty traps everywhere. And Dr. Jones, Indiana Jones was like, booty, you mean booby traps? He's like, that's what I said, booty traps. So he, <laughs> the picture that the teacher is giving here is sensuality, is like booby traps put all over the place. And It says, the man who pleases God will escape it, but the sinner will be ensnared. Some of y'all have heard the story about uh, the two college students in in Illinois at the school that Matt Lim and uh, Kiyok is is attending right now. But there was this uh, Chinese fellow, I think he was a freshman or a young student, and as often the case in Christian fellowships at the university, older students would take care of the younger ones, and they would cook food for them, and they would make meals for them. And so there was this older Korean girl, her name was Sarah. And Sarah made this amazing stew. It was called budechige uh, in Korean. That's what it's called. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like a stew, and you throw in all kinds of meat. It's just like a, uh, a meat stew. And so they called it budechige. But uh, I think for Chinese people, it's a little bit harder for them to say. And so they, they would just spell it out, B-U-D-D-A-E, bude. And so uh, yeah, he would always be saying, when, when am I going to get my bude? And she would be like, well, I'll make it for you. So as young, underclass college students can be, he was a little bit sophomoric and a little bit immature. And so one day he made her upset. He made this girl upset and she said, you know what, I'm never cooking for you. So he's like, oh, oh, oh." you know, she's just joking. So it turns out the story goes that they were in a a dining hall waiting in line to eat food. And he was at the back of the line. There's all, uh, you know, a bunch of people, non-Asian people in between. And at the front of the line was this girl, Sarah. And so he was like waiting in line. Then he, he saw her and he started, call, he started waving and he got her attention. And he said, where's my, where's, where's my boudet? And then she turns around and she goes, uh-uh, no boudet for you. 
And everybody in line was like, oh my goodness. They said, son, you best apologize to her. The teacher, the teacher is saying the same thing here. He's saying, unless it's in his proper context, uh-uh, no boudet for you. Because the snare of sensuality is like it's a little boudet trap trying to get you. It, 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 the, the, later in, in Hebrews, it would say, keep the marriage bed pure. Honor the marriage bed. Keep it pure. The only proper place for sexual relationship, people of God, is in that safe context of marriage. The Bible says no wed, no bed. Hey, no contract, no contact. The only safe place for sexual relationship is in the covenantal context of a marriage relationship. Anything outside of that is a snare and is destructive, people of God. It is destructive. He's not saying we're going to get married. We love each other. Therefore, it's okay. Or I just want to see what it feels like. Or I just want to know if we are compatible. He's saying the only proper place is in the context of marriage. Every other place is a dangerous snare that will enslave you. And we all know, we all know that it's not just talking about the consummation of those desires, it's talking about the thoughts and the heart as well. Joshua Harris, a pastor up in, in Maryland, says that sexuality, lust, and, uh, lust is going to be the defining sin of our generation. Because all around, you see, our culture is swimming in sensuality. That at the youngest age, children are growing up being bombarded by messages and innuendos saying this is what it is to have value and worth and meaning. And young children are growing up thinking that the only value that a girl has is in their attractiveness to the other gender. And the only value that a male has is in his attractiveness to the female. And it is destructive, saints of God. It is destructive. And he's saying we have to beware because it is a snare that begins in the heart and it begins in the thoughts. Because as you plant the thought, it reaps an action. And as an action is planted continually, it reaps a habit. And from a habit, it becomes a character. And from a character, it becomes a destiny. It is a snare. That men and women who give themselves to pornography or to, or to any kind of sexual immorality find their hearts being hardened and hardened and hardened that they can no longer look at someone of the opposite gender without thinking about sexual thoughts. They don't see them as anything more than just a physical body. And God forbid that anyone grows up looking at my daughter like that. This is, this is important to all of us. When we disconnect a person from their soul, when we disconnect a person from their worth in the image of God, imago Dei, we disconnect a person from that. This is what happens when we become ensnared to sensuality, whether it is in, in, in pornography or having illegitimate conversations with people late at night or engaging in chat rooms, even, quote-unquote, just for the fun of it. These things are deadening your soul and ultimately causes us to not be able to worship God. As our hearts become harder and harder and harder, we become more and more bitter and bitter and bitter. He's saying, as I'm walking on this journey, I got distracted and sidetracked by the snare of sensuality. He's saying, but there is hope that the teacher did not see. There's hope in the gospel of Christ. That whatever pain, 
whatever enslavement we find ourselves in, there is freedom in the power of the shed blood of Jesus to set captives free. If you would believe and if you would turn away and realize that this is not the answer, that we would no longer believe and buy into the lie that having a relationship with a boy or girl, a man or woman, is going to satisfy the deep longings of existential angst in my heart. It's not. The teacher says, I've experienced this, and I've seen it, and I've rode this out to its max, and I realize that it is completely bankrupt. That's not the answer. And so the last thing the teacher says is not the answer, is when we settle for smaller stories. What do we mean by that? Verse 29, he says, this only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. And who's like the wise man who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. The temptation, as we see in this life under the sun, righteous people being afflicted, wicked people seemingly being blessed. The temptation for us then is to say, God, this is your fault. And to turn away from God and to say, I will no longer put my hope and put my trust and put my faith in a God whom I cannot see. And so the teacher is saying, look, in verse 29, this only have I found amongst all the searching to find the answer to this enigma, this riddle of life. This is the only thing I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. He's saying you were made right in the image of God, but it is us who've blown it. It's us who've gone astray. It's us who searched after and sought after other things. That's why this world is so jacked up and fallen. In the Garden of Eden, God made mankind upright and good. And yet in search of other schemes, we went. And because of that introduced into this world, corruption and brokenness and every relationship that we have with each other, with ourselves, with our God and with our creation has been marred beyond human repair. Which is why things happen in life that cause us to get so angry at the injustice that we see. And the story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation that's being played out in our day is that there is a bigger story that makes sense of all of these things and it's a story that begins with God making man upright but us going in search of other schemes. And if we are patient and wait it out, we will see the consummation of this story. However, the great majority of people are not patient enough to wait for that and so we settle for smaller stories. The story of success, the story of pleasure, the story of gratification, the story of sensuality, the story of popularity. We settle for these smaller stories and we realize at the end of the day, these can no longer give us a happy ending that we long for. It seems like a good story when it starts, but when we get to the final page, it leaves us longing for the next chapter of which there is none. See, a few weeks back, one of our seniors, Lisa Lee, turned me on to this, uh, to this idea. And so I, 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 based on what she said and, and, and another author named Donald Miller, I, I want to kind of 
bring to bear something here. Donald Miller is, a, is an author, and you know, his writing can, uh, requires a lot of digestion and a lot of uh, thought in order to, uh, to, to, to skim out the fact from the fiction. But one of the things that, uh, that he talks about in one of his books is the power of a story. And basically what he says is a story is about a hero who goes in search of a goal. And it, it, you just got a, a, a guy and his goal is to get married. And so he finds a girl, they date and they get married. That's not a story, right? What's missing in there? What's missing is obstacles, is conflict, is hardship. And so you throw in a few hardships and obstacles along the way, a giant, that they, a dragon that needs to be slain, and then you have a story. And what Donald Miller is saying is that the greatest stories are the ones in which the obstacles are the greatest. There's the greatest stories are the ones in which at least one time, two times, three times, you say, you know what, this is not going to have a happy ending. It's not. This is the way it was with a story that I saw, a movie that Olivia and I saw this past week. I, I'm going to spoil the ending, so I'm not going to tell you what the movie is called. But it's a, basically, it's a story about a bunch of toys. And so, <laughs> these toys are the heroes, and they've got this goal that they're trying to accomplish. And, and, and the goal changes at different points in the story. But at many a point in the story, there are times when I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, you know what, this is not going to end happily ever after. It also was kind of, my, my, my mind was prepared because someone said, you know what, bring tissues because you're going to cry at the end. So I thought, well, I'll cry at the end. It's not going to have a happy ending. So there's this goal that they're trying to get to, and there are these bunch of characters, bunch of you know, toys, and they're running around trying to do this stuff. And one point I felt like, you know what, this is not going to have a happy ending is because there's this astronaut guy, and something happens to him where he used to be a good guy astronaut, but he becomes a bad guy astronaut. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness, they cannot do it without this astronaut because he's always the hero in these stories because there's a couple other of them. But he's usually the hero, and he's become a bad guy. Oh my goodness, it's not going to end up well. But then something happens. He starts speaking Spanish, and then he turns into a good guy again. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe it's going to have a happy ending after all. And then there's this point where these bunch of toys get uh, thrown into the trash dumpster. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the end of them. This is where I have to bust out my tissues. But then something happens, and then they, they, at least they're all together. They're all together. And then there's this point where they're going into the trash compactor, and then it looks like they're going to die, but there's this bear, this like purple bear that gets out, and he finds the button that's going to stop them from being destroyed. And he's right about to push it, and then he says, just kidding, suckers. And then he walks off. And as they get closer and closer, it's like kind of like going on the, on the uh, Jurassic Park ride at, at, at Islands of Adventure where you're about, to get, you're about to get swallowed by that dinosaur that comes down. And you're like, it's over now. It's over. It's, never, it's not going to have a happy ending. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, you, you escape the dragon because something else happens. And this, these like three Cyclops guys end up rescuing them. Like, oh my goodness. But along the way, along the way, these toys ask the same questions that you and I ask about life. Why is it that the bad toys end up having all the good luck? Why is it that the good toys end up getting messed up? Why is it that the bad toys get to play with the good kids? Why is it that the good kids have to play with these kids who slam them on the ground and have dirty hands? Why is it that good things happen to bad people? And all these questions that, that, that run amok in our minds. And then they, they, they ask, even on a more metaphysical level, why it, does our owner really love us? 
Does our owner really care about us? If all of these things are happening, then could it possibly be that Andy doesn't care for us anymore? Does he really love us or did he mean for us to go to this place never to be seen, never to be heard from again? Does he really care about us? And at the end of the movie, we see this joyful embrace between the owner and those who are his. And we realize that yes, indeed, he loved his toys so much. And every intention of his heart is that they could be together. This is a story of our lives, people of God. When we doubt and we question, we wonder all of these things. How can it be? What what do we do with these questions? And God is saying, every intention of my heart is to be united with the objects of my affection, with the one whose name is written on the bottom of your shoe. That's me. I love you and I care for you. That's the story of history. That's the bigger story that if you would be patient and you would see, that's being played out. See, the ultimate story that looked like it would never have a happy ending was when God sent his son on a rescue mission into this world. His goal was the redemption of not only the souls of humanity, but the entire cosmos. And on a dark Friday, this son of God was nailed to a cross, and it was the ultimate in humanity saying there's not going to be a happy ending with this. And yet because of that moment, because of that obstacle, he opened the door so that there might be possible, a happy ending for everyone who had to put their faith in the Son of God for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the hope of glory. That's the story of the gospel. That's the big picture that the teacher could not see that we see revealed in the rest of Scripture. And it's big enough for us to live in. It's big enough for us to give ourselves to. He says, if you do, then there's a radical change that happens in your life because the Bible in 1 Corinthians would say the wisdom and righteousness of God is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he can say, who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. He says, there is a visible transformation in your life. It is grace, not grease, that makes your face to shine. The grace of God poured into your life, and it changes a hardened heart and sets the captives free. That's the story of the gospel. And if you would believe it, if you would believe it and you would hold on, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that greater things are coming. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment to come before the Lord and just bring our hearts whatever hardship we may be going through today, whatever doubts or questions may be in our hearts, let's surrender these to the Lord. Maybe some of us are in here, whether you're a guest or you're a regular, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your life. And as you've lived this life, you've lived for lesser stories, saying you're here today for a reason. Redemption is here. Salvation is here. If you would say, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. You died for my sins, so come and be the Savior of my life. Let's take a couple moments to come before the Lord as we respond to his word and ask that he would, that he would touch our hearts, either to come in, to shape, to change, to forgive, to mold. But let's take a couple moments to respond to his word right now. Thank you.
as we continue to uh, reflect on the cross of Christ, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table for Holy Communion, as we prepare to be lifted up into the presence of God, to join in this communion celebration with saints around the throne, with those who've gone before us. Let's prepare our hearts that we might approach the table in a proper manner to understand and to proclaim the grace of God in our lives. Let's take another moment, another minute to prepare our hearts before we come to the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, we thank you that grace so free is available by faith in Christ. Oh Lord, what could save a dying, sinful human being? Not us trying to be more good, but it's in us saying that we can't. And only the Son of God can do that for us. What grace amazing, what grace so costly to you, yet freely available to us. Thank you for this wondrous love. Help us to receive it, to believe it, to embrace it, and then to live it for the sake of your glory, for the sake of a world that's desperately in need. We thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.